0: You know the techniques, but there also are effective traits associated with successful fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stangikevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Amy Lampe. Amy is the Associate Vice President of BWF, a nationally regarded consulting firm helping fundraisers across the United States and internationally as well. And Amy is the co-author with Josh Burkholds of Benefactors, Why Some Fundraising Professionals Always succeed, Amy. Great to have you with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast.
1: Thank you, Bill. Uh, this is this is a true treat as as we are partially a Hoosier family. Uh, my my husband actually attended IU and IUPUI for his master's, so uh, this this is this is a true pleasure.
0: Well, we're grateful for you speaking to our national and international audience on this podcast, and you know I know we're going to focus on a few aspects of the book, but you know just kind of overall. Why do some some fundraising professionals always succeed? Why did you and Josh write this book?
1: Well, one thing that I I felt um, on the heels of having having uh, managed a team um, actually in the performing arts before joining the firm as a consultant is um, as we sat down and knew that we were gonna our next collaboration was going to be a book together. um, I talked to him about you know there's they folks still don't know what, what fundraising is about. They still don't know what I do. They still don't know, um, all of the skills that are required of fundraisers to make sure that we make and empower philanthropy at our organizations. And so um, as we were putting together the idea of a book, really marrying the art and the science of fundraising, um, we talked about what a lot of those soft skills are and um, many things that exhibit a leader, many of the attributes, that exhibit fundraisers in general. And we were able to narrow it down to eight factors or attributes um, of things we've seen and noticed and experienced and had had to, to learn or exhibit in the field.
0: And we want to highlight just a few of those while encouraging folks to, again, pick up that book, Benefactors, Why Some Fundraising Professionals Always Succeed. And Amy, you and Josh have identified the importance of data-driven fundraising. What is your key point there?
1: Well, with data-driven fundraising, we want to encourage not only the prospect researcher, but the major gift officer that together, fundraising is an art and a science. So we shouldn't be fearful of the data. We should use the data to empower us to um, raise more money for our organizations. And if fundraising science is actually more of 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 your jam if that's something that that is really uh passionate for for you know that there's actually an art to it that every data scientist also is an artist and every major gift officer can also be a data-driven fundraising uh, scientists. And if we look at that marriage of the two, we actually, you become a more efficient fundraiser. When you use data to inform your work, um, you actually are able to, to um, uh, be able to use the data to, to harness relationships. And the, one of my favorite quotes of my co-author, Josh Burkholz, is he talks about that fundraising will always be sitting in someone's living room asking them for a gift. and But what, what analytics and data science does is it tells you which living rooms to visit. And so that efficiency model with higher pressures of uh, fundraisers needing to raise more money in campaigns, raising more money um, and bringing in more philanthropy for their organizations, we need these efficiency models that have been deployed in corporate in corporate America for for decades. And so uh, being able to utilize um, data in informing your decisions day by day and using that database, using your database as the harness, as the whole of your ship of your fundraising shop. So all the decisions that you make actually come from your CRM. I have found as a fundraiser that Using, using that um, approach does raise more money for my previous institutions.
0: And in fact, uh, you know, my contention is the most important person on the fundraising team is that staff member assigned to overseeing the database. Uh, kind of like Jefferson said that information is the currency of democracy. Information is the currency of effective fundraising. And, you know, fundraisers are highly relational people. I would just encourage you to get in relationship with your data. Amy, a mentor of mine said the data will talk to you.
1: Yes. Uh, You know,
0: that's a way to kind of personalize it a little bit and not be thinking we're just looking at numbers on a spreadsheet.
1: Well, I'm so glad you said that because I tell clients all the time, your data has a story to tell you about your donors. Let's talk about, and we'll 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 preview an analysis of what the what the data is telling them through a predictive model. And I was like, this is the story of your major gift of your major gift donors. We make assumptions all the time as fundraisers. This is how my 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 uh, major gift donors act. This is how I know this is who my donors are. But your data winds up telling you a completely different story many times. And now that we have so much data that we've been able to collect through the years, um, I really feel that every every future shop will be, needs to be a data-driven shop focused on that analytical nature. And we're starting to see it. I, I love it because we're starting to see it Uh, At Homegrown, actually, when we first introduced predictive uh, fundraising models to arts and culture organizations, that was uh, Josh and my, our, our first project together, I noticed that you had these CDOs the ones that were previously annual giving officers in in individual giving, they had that bent towards data-driven fundraising and they understood the power of data. So it's really interesting to see data-driven leadership in our fundraising shops um, come into play in, in these organizations. And and by and large, what I've noticed with my my clients or at previous organizations, those data-driven shops become highly efficient. They raise more money. They're more efficient with their time. They're more effective with their time. They're using metrics to inform staff performance so that they know that they can have a pulse on where their money is, is, is coming and where their sources are. And it's really it's an exciting time, I feel, to be in fundraising because we can use these tools to learn about connection, to learn about engagement. We can put data behind how connected a donor is to you. There's data behind how engaged, how a donor feels about you. So using that data to inform strategies, I think, is magic. And I think is is um, really something that's exciting for our development leaders.
0: Data also are part of innovation, another key theme in this book. And you know, Amy, when people hear the word innovation, they think I need to be like Dr. Rebecca Richards Cordom at Rice University, who innovated low cost solutions. To reduce infant mortality in developing nations, or they think, you know, I need to be Steve Jobs and be a founding father of the future and invent all sorts of cool things. How does innovation fit into effective fundraising?
1: Everybody can be an innovator. I'm here as a fundraising innovator telling you, you too can be a fun, an innovator. And truly all that innovation is, is putting two different ideas together to create something new. So when um, Josh and I, as I mentioned, first partnered, we introduced fundraising analytics to the arts. Now, fundraising analytics had already been invented um, and and with with a book that, that josh himself had, had written and we introduced it to a new sector sector and it it was like it was magic. And so I feel that if you look at any kind of innovative idea and you can dissect the genius, nine times out of 10, it's it's different ideas that had already existed, but you're putting them together in a new way. And so that's another thing we're hoping our book also accomplishes is it empowers the new fundraising innovator. We want your ideas. We need to see your ideas um, so that we can create a new business moving forward.
0: And Amy, one aspect that can inhibit innovation is people think I need the one big, gigantic, huge idea like the iPhone or something like that. Um, and, or other people say, you know, I came up with a great idea in the shower. And I think, can I come take a shower at your house? Cause my <laughs> shower head doesn't have the big ideas. But it's just like fundraising. We don't sit in our office and just wait for the big gift to walk in. We can't limit ourselves by thinking we have to wait for the big, gigantic idea. As you said, we're often looking at existing information and asking what comes next.
1: Correct. And it's, it's actually trying to think ahead. Um, Josh often talks about when we talk about it at our firm, it's not the best practices necessarily, though we all do want to strive towards best practices. But what are those next practices? What are ways that we can be propelling our shops towards the next practices in fundraising and be thinking about what that next idea is?
0: And you also uh, have an excellent chapter on leadership and well, the podcast with Josh specifically on that topic, but I know you like to emphasize the soft skills of fundraisers as leaders, and there are some that you have worked on developing, and we all need to work on developing in, in your and, and all of our fundraising careers.
1: Absolutely. As a data-driven fundraising leader, a couple of things and takeaways that that I um I have for other leaders is I made data-driven hiring decisions. I started um it, data starts at the top. And so that kind of leadership has to be exhibited by your your CDO. And so I would no matter what position I hired, they all had to be comfortable with the database, from a major gift officer to a foundation relations professional to a development associate, individual giving. They all had to have that skill of comfort because we would dive into the database together together to allow it to harness our operations.
0: And so developing those soft skills, seeing yourself as a leader, having the character um, and, you know, approach and approach of forgiveness uh, is so key to being an effective leader as well. And those are outlined in this book, Benefactors, Why Some Fundraising Professionals Always Succeed, co-authored by Amy Lampy, who is Associate Vice President of BWF, as well as Josh Burkholz, published by Wiley, which also is the publisher, by the way, of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition, uh, the key textbook from the fundraising school and the IU Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And speaking of leadership, when you come to the fundraising school, you're going to learn how to fundraise. Our alums meet or exceed their fundraising goals at a rate higher than the industry average. And you can also learn more about our leadership, four courses leading to the Certificate in Fundraising Leadership, for one of four certificates that we offer. A couple of dozen public courses that we have, we have custom training, the, all of our courses are available in person, online, in the United States, around the world. We have these free podcasts, quarterly webinars, all of the information is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash The Fundraising School. So grateful for our guest today, Amy Lampy, on this podcast produced by Jennifer Boffman and Mike Anthony. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school.